Just don't want the air conditioner to break. Is that right? Well, I think we're supposed to get a little bit of a break here before long, so that'll be good. You'll be wanting this weather when it's two below zero. So, Hey, I want to start by asking you a question this morning. How many roads are there from this church to the St. Louis Gateway Arch? Huh? Well, how many would you say? Fifty? And there's a bunch of different combinations, right? I mean, I mean, now if I were going to go to the arch, I would go to Highway 44 and I'd probably go down that way. Some people might go down Highway 40, is that right? You'd probably even get there going Highway 30 somehow or another and or hit up 55 and then whatnot. There's a bunch of different ways to get to the arch from this church, is that right? Many different roads to the arch from this church. Let me ask you, how many roads are there to God? Okay, you're exactly right. One. And, and who, who, what would his name be? Jesus. You understand there's God the Father, God the Son, the Lord Jesus, and God the Holy Ghost. The only way to get to God the Father is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that right? Now, we know that. We understand that because we've studied the Word of God. But you know there's a lot of people who will tell you there's many different ways... To God. Now we know, I mean, you can look in your Bibles, John 14, 6. Let's, let's note that. I trust you brought your Bibles with you, either in book form or on uh, your telephone or somehow or another. Thank God for the Word of God. Notice John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, he was talking to Thomas here. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many roads are there to God? You know the answer to that. There's one, uh, and, and his name is Jesus. Actually, we won't turn there, but you could look over in Acts, the fourth chapter, and I believe it was Peter said, uh, nor is there salvation in any other, in any other name other than Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So there's only one way. To be saved. There's only one way to miss hell and make heaven. Only one way to God. And his name is Jesus Christ. And you, but you have to understand that you can get into a fight with a lot of people when you say that phrase. There's only one way to God. His name is Jesus. How many of you know that? I mean, you, could, you can pick a fight real quick with a whole lot of people just by saying that. Because there's a whole lot of people in this, in this land that will tell you there's many Roads, they all lead to the same place. But you know, that's wrong. I said that's, and that's very dangerous. Do you understand that? There may be many different roads to the arch, but there's only one road to God, and that's Jesus. A lot of people fight with you over that statement. You know, I was teaching last Wednesday night on the book of Philippians. We'll be finishing that up this Wednesday night. And the Apostle Paul, you can turn over to Philippians 3.18. Philippians 3.18. The Apostle Paul, of course, at the direction of the Holy Spirit, talks about people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of the cross of Christ. Philippians 3.18. He says this, For many walk... 
of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of the cross of Christ. And of course, the question would be, who are the enemies of the cross of Christ? Who are enemies of the cross of Christ? Well, there's much we could say. First of all, those who would say there are many roads to God, you need to realize they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, Buddha won't get you to God. Muhammad won't get you to God. Now, Muhammad gets you to Allah, but Allah is just another name for the devil. Allah and Jehovah are not the same. You need to understand that. Enemies of the cross of Christ, those who would say there are many roads to God. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Oh, there's many ways, many roads, and they all lead to the same place. No, no, that, that's, that's wrong. That's, that's incorrect. That kind of thinking will lead one to hell. Did you hear me? Well, Pastor, you're just being exclusive, etc. So no, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. We just looked at one scripture. We could look at many more. I quoted one. We looked up one. There's several more we could look at. Who is an enemy of the cross of Christ? Anybody who says there are many roads to God. Or that Jesus is not the only way. If somebody says that Jesus is not the only way, they are what? An enemy of the cross. Now, here's some other folks who are enemies of the cross. Those who add things to the cross. Did you know that there's a lot of people who want to add things to the cross? In the Old Testament... As it moved into the New Testament, you see in the Old Testament under the law, now in the New Testament under grace, we're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the early days of the church, some 2,000 years ago, there was a group that they were known as the Judaizers. And if you studied the book of Galatians, you would see that that is a main theme of the book of Galatians where Paul was refuting them. And they made life miserable for the Apostle Paul because he was teaching that we're saved by grace through faith plus nothing. But they came around and they'd go before him or after him and they would come in and they would say, yes, it's the cross of Jesus, all right. But you also must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to be saved. And there was quite a tumult about that in the in, in, in the book of Acts and they held a council there in Jerusalem to to refute that but you see any time you add something to the cross so if you say well yeah it's, it's it's the cross of what Jesus did at the cross through his death burial and resurrection you know and then you add something to it like circumcision or keeping the law you become an enemy of the cross of Christ now in in the time in which we live and what I've been familiar with over the last many many years is like for example water baptism you know there's some people say that that you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be water baptized. And it's not till you come up out of the water that you're saved. And that's not in line with the uh, word of God. People that teach that are enemies of the cross of Christ. 
When you repent of your sins and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the, faster than you can snap your finger, faster than you can blink your eye, the Holy Spirit moves you out of the kingdom of darkness over into the kingdom of, of Jesus. Can you say amen? Do you understand that? I mean, you don't have time to get to the water baptismal tank uh, to, to be back, you're saved long before you ever get there. Did you understand that? But there's people in this land will say to you that you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be water baptized. And when you put the and be water baptized, you've made yourself an enemy of the cross of Christ. Because you're saying, in essence, that what Jesus did is not enough. Now, I believe in water baptism. Jesus commanded water baptism. We, we need to be water baptized, but you get water baptized after you get saved, not in order to get saved. Do you hear me? Now, now if you don't do your studying, you can go to the Bible and select a scripture here or there, take it out of context, not really understand what it's saying, and preach a false doctrine that says you have to be water baptized to be saved. But if you do your homework and study the Bible in context and do, do your homework and, and really understand, it's very simple. Sunday school kids can understand it, that you're saved by grace through faith apart from anything else the moment you place your faith in Jesus. You understand that? But to add something like water baptism to the cross, you become an enemy of the cross. Uh, there's some people that will tell you that you need to receive communion. On a regular basis. In order to be saved. People that say that whether they realize it or not. Are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now you see. We're going to receive communion today at the end of the service. We do that about every six weeks around here. You could do it more. You could do it less. But. Eating, eating this bread, which represents the body of Christ. Drinking the juice, which represents the blood of Christ. That doesn't. Help save you. Do you understand that? How many? Do you understand that? It doesn't help save you. It doesn't help keep you saved. It doesn't. You know, it's like water baptism. It's something you do. You get water baptized after you're saved. You receive communion after you're saved. See, if you're here today and you're not saved, you shouldn't receive the communion. You need to get saved first and then receive the communion. How do I get saved? Repent in your heart. Believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you receive communion. You okay? But to say that you need to receive communion in order to be saved, along with your faith, you become an enemy of the cross of Christ. You know, there's a lot of people in the land who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Did you know that? To say that good works. How many of you know good works are important? They're, they're very, they're very, they're good. How many of you know good works are good? Is that right? But there's a lot of people that they'll say, well, it's the cross plus good works. How many of you know it? Once you put plus good works onto the cross, you've become an enemy of the cross of Christ. And there are others yet which will tell you, and you know it as well as I do, if you went into just this city of Fenton and just randomly at Walmart, went around and started asking people on the street, what do you have to do to be saved? The, the, the number one most popular answer that you would get, they wouldn't even bring the cross into it. What would be the most popular answer you'd get? They'd say, well, you need to be a, what? A good person. How many of you know none of us on our best day all put together can get into heaven? 
the prophet Isaiah, the Holy Spirit said through him that our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. You understand that? So when you add, but, but a lot of people say you don't even need to cross, just, just good works. I tell you what, I'd be scared spitless to die without Jesus. Did you hear me? The cross plus good works. Some will say, well, the cross plus be a good person. When you add good works to the cross, you become an enemy of the cross because you're saying that what Jesus did is not enough. Now, what about good works? Well, if you're taking notes, you ought to write this down. I'll give you the formula from the Bible. Salvation is simply this. Ready? If you preach this, then you're not an enemy of the cross. Are you ready? Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals salvation plus good works. Did you get what I just said? Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals salvation, then plus the good works. What am I saying? Are good works important? Yes, good works are important, but they're a fruit of your salvation, not the root of your salvation. Do you get what I just said? If people, I'm talking Christians, if they don't have good works in their life, then I, I'm suspect whether or not they ever really got saved. Because how many of you know Christians ought to be the number one good deed doers in the world? Is that right? The thing is this though, the good deeds don't save you or help save you. You understand that? How many understands that? So I'm laying a foundation for where I'm headed here, so just bear with me. You need to, you need to get this to get what we're go, where, we're, where we're headed here in just a minute. Faith in Jesus Christ, the cross, plus nothing equals salvation. What do I mean by salvation? Missing hell and making heaven. Faith in Jesus, what he did through his death, burial, and resurrection, plus nothing equals salvation. Then after you're saved, then you got to good works. You got to water baptism, receive communion, do, you know, be a good deed doer. Just don't get your good deed doing on the wrong side of the equal sign. Did you hear what I just said? You know, I bear, I, I, I'll tell you this, there's a lot of Christians that think, even, I bet you even in this room, that thinks that by, 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 by being good can help get you into heaven. But it can't. We're saved by grace. The Bible says, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. If our works could help even a little bit, we could then stand before God and boast. But then, Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. See, if there's no good works in your life, I question whether or not you're even saved. Because a Christian ought to be full of good works. Just not trusting in those good works to get them to heaven. Are you okay? You with me? You all right? Just don't get the good works or the water baptism or the communion on the wrong side of the equal sign. The cross of Christ, faith in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, plus, plus what? Nothing equals salvation. And then after you're saved, then all those other things. Water baptism, you know, Jesus commanded. We need to do that. Uh, good works, all these other things. You okay? How many of you are, are you're all right with that? 
And one, one other thing while I'm on it concerning the good works. When Paul wrote concerning the, uh, uh, the enemies of the cross in the, in the book of Philippians, certainly he was dealing with the things that we were talking about here, you know, what, 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 what we've just said. Those who say there are many roads to God or that Jesus isn't the only way, an enemy of the cross. Those who want to add things to the cross, enemy of the cross. But Paul, actually, he was making direct reference to a group of people known as the Gnostics. Now, there's much we could say about the Gnostics, but they were a, they, they were a real problem in the early days of the church some 2,000 years ago. And much we could say about it, they made knowledge. Their, uh, they made a god out of knowledge. How many of you don't know? How many of you know you can make a god out of anything? And you shouldn't. There, you should only serve God. Is that right? But they, you know, they, they were just. It was a very sad situation. The Gnostics. They did much harm in the early church. And it's actually the main theme of the book of Colossians. Paul dealing with the Gnostics, just like in Galatians, he dealt with the. The, the Judaizers here in, in, in Colossians, you see he deals with the Gnostics. And one of the things the Gnostics taught, and it's important that I say this, because to teach what I'm about to say makes, makes one an enemy of the cross of Christ. And here's one of the things they taught. Now, we just talked about good works and all of that. But here's something they taught. They taught that, okay, it's the cross of Christ, all right. But then after you get saved, you can live however you want to. Just do whatever you want. If you want to commit fornication, fine. Live however you want. After all, we're saved by grace through faith. So, live however you want. To teach that, you make yourself an enemy of the cross of Christ. Because when you get saved, you can't live however you want to live. The Apostle Paul, and that's what they attacked him on. They said, well, you're saying we're saved by grace through faith, and that's true. So, you live however you want. And what did he say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That's how Paul came back against those Gnostics, because they were saying, Paul, Apostle Paul, you're teaching that once you you get saved, saved by grace, so just live however you want. And Paul said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, certainly not. I'm here today to tell you that when you get saved, you can't live however you want to live. You're no longer yours. You belong to God. There's a fine line. I tell you what, you truly get saved, you won't want to sin. You won't want to cheat on your wife. You won't want to cheat on your husband. You won't, you won't want to do sinful things. Now, over in the book of Revelation, you don't have to turn there, but there was a, a, a lady over there. She was actually the pastor's wife, if you study into it. And, and he was allowing her to get up in a pulpit and teach to the church that it's okay to commit sexual immorality. And it's okay to eat things sacrificed to idols. In other words, in another way, she was saying idolatry is okay. How many of you know idolatry isn't okay? What is idolatry? Anytime you put something ahead of God. How many of you know sexual immorality isn't all right? We live in a day and an hour, especially in the United States of America, where pretty much anything goes. We're not here to beat people up, put people down. Certainly not. 
How many of you know if you're living together and you're not married, it's sinful? Is that right? It's just wrong. You can't live however you want. You know, I'd get shouted down out of a lot of churches in this land for saying what I just said. Did you hear me? We've had different ones come over the many years. They come, they're not married, and they, they're living together, and so on and so forth. And they, they ask me about it, and I, I, it's very simple, very simple. Stop living together or get married, right? How many of you know it's not okay to live together and not be married? It's just not okay. And I'm going to say it again. I'd be shouted down in... Most, most, I don't say most, but a lot of churches, a lot of big churches in this nation for saying what I just said. Hear me? When we're saved, we need to live right, live holy. Not have a holier than thou attitude or think we're better than anybody else, but we need to live right, live holy. Can you say amen? And if you miss it, you repent and you move right on. We'll say more about that in a moment. Talking about enemies of the cross of Christ. Anybody that tells you that you can live however you want. After all, you're saved by grace through faith. You can live however you want. People that preach that are enemies of the cross of Christ. Because you got, you're supposed to live holy before the Lord. So there's only one road to God and His name is? But I want to ask you a question. How many roads are there to Jesus? One road to Jesus. I'm glad you said that. I I think I've taught you well. Now we know the road to God the Father is through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But how many roads are there to Jesus? Now you say one. and, And you're right. But I want to say a little more about this. Some very influential. And if you're not aware of this, you need to be. You may not be aware of what I'm about to say. So if, 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 if you are, we're going to talk about it. If you're not, you need to be aware of it. Some very influential ministers in this nation are now saying, they're, they're saying there's only one road to God now. They're, they, they're saying that. You know why they're saying that? Because they've pin, been pinned down with the Word of God with some of the scriptures we talked about earlier where they've got to say that now. Or they're going to lose their congregations altogether. But now what they're saying, since they can't get away with saying there's only one road to God, they're, they're, they're acknowledging that That there's only one road to God, that being Jesus. But now they're saying there are many roads to Jesus. Their desire is so much to not offend anybody and to make everybody comfortable. That now they're saying, well, there's one road to God, all right, but there's many roads to Jesus. Now, if you're visiting today, I want you to understand something. Even if you're not visiting, I want you to understand something. I seldom talk about the kinds of things that I am talking about now. But every once in a while you need to do it. I have never called a minister's name judgmentally from this pulpit and I never will. But I have judged 
what influential ministers have taught out of line with the Bible as it pertains to the essentials of salvation. And that's what every good pastor should do. Did you hear what I just said? I have never and will never call another minister's name judgmentally from this pulpit. But if I'm going to be a good pastor and be a man of God, I have to, at times, when necessary, judge what an influential minister... Why an influential minister? Because I don't need to talk about what somebody's saying in the, in the you know, in, in somewhere where, you know, you're never going to hear what they're saying. Do you understand what you understand? I'm not, I'm not what you would consider an influential minister. Do, do you understand what I mean by that? My, I mean, I'm preaching to you and however many on the internet, but I'm not spanning the globe with the message. Do you understand what I'm saying? Did you hear what I just said? But sometimes you get some ministers that are spanning the globe, spanning the country, and we're not judgmental of them personally, but how many of you know we're supposed to judge what they say doctrinally? Just like you're supposed to judge what you hear me say doctrinally. You should never accept anything I or another minister tells you doctrinally unless you check it out with the Word of God. And by the way, while I'm on it, I'm going to say it now so I don't forget to say it in a moment. Whoever it is you call your pastor, whoever it is you're listening to, if they don't ever make you uncomfortable at some time with the Word of God and their teaching, if they don't ever make you uncomfortable, ever, you're listening to the wrong person. Did you hear what I just said? If it's 24-7, all positive, all the time, it's not sent from God. You need to understand that. Yeah, but they make me feel all oogly-woogly and all oochie-gooshy on the inside. I don't care how they make you. They're not sent from the presence of God. Why are you talking about this, Pastor Terry? Because I care about your soul. Similarly, if you're listening to somebody that's making you feel beat up and run down and, and worthless all the time, you're listening to the wrong person. Did you hear me? A, a, a man of God, a woman of God, should come with a message of the, the gospel is the good news, should come with the good news, a message of blessing and uplifting and encouragement. But how many of you know, they're, they're at times as needed, there also should be a message of repentance come from that same mouth. Is that right? You got somebody beating you up all the time and beating you over the head with the Bible all the time and that's not that's not from God. God's an encourager, he's an uplifter. He he wants you understand that. But similarly, if 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 if, if you can sit it's like I've said for many years, I think this is original with me. I've never heard anybody else say it. I want everybody welcome at this church. Everybody. Everybody welcome, but I don't want anybody, including me, comfortable if there's something in, in our lives that should not be there. Do you understand that? Like that, 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 that thing that I said a moment ago about people living together. I, I, haven't, said, I, haven't, I haven't mentioned that in, in probably a couple of years. I haven't said anything about that. Why I'm talking about it today, I don't know. But I'm just saying that that wouldn't be said across many pulpits because that's going to make some people uncomfortable. Is that right? 
It's like homosexuality. It's sin. It's wrong. Uh, that wouldn't be settled out a lot of, across a lot of pulpits because it's going to make people uncomfortable. How many of you know God loves homosexuals? But you can't, if you get saved, you can't stay in that lifestyle. Can you say amen? No more than you can stay in adultery or fornication. Did you hear? No, no more than you ought to be a gossiper. Is that right? I think gossiping is just as ugly and maybe worse than a lot of the sexual sins in some ways. Although I think the sexual ones are, 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 are worse. So, so we're not judging ministers individually, but we're supposed to, I tell you what, we're supposed to judge what people are, what ministers are saying. And when you get influential ones that are spanning the nation and spanning the globe, and, 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 it, and it's just not lying with the Bible. I have a duty, if I want to keep my job, from, he put me in here. If I want to keep my job, I work for him. I don't work for a bunch of deacons' wives. Did you hear what I just said? I said, I don't work for a bunch of... Ooh, I feel the anointing. I don't work for a bunch of deacons. I don't got a board running me here. We're under Rhema Bible Training Center. We're under their authority. But I don't, I, I, don't have to, I don't have to be nervous about saying something because the board might fire me. Yeah, we don't like what you're saying, Pastor Terry. You know, I learned a long time... Boy, I don't want to say this. Everybody's got two votes, don't they? Huh? I said, everybody... You know what they are, don't you? What are they? Right foot and uh, you want a man of God that's not accountable to a bunch of deacons' wives. Can you say amen? You want a man of God that can stand in the pulpit unabatedly say, thus saith the Lord. Can you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? I care about your soul. One of the reasons that this nation is in the mess it's in is because you've got men standing behind the pulpits throwing sugar cookies out to an already diabetic congregation and nation. Did you hear what I just said? We need some people to stand up in love and say, Thus saith the Lord, let's get this thing turned around. We need to stop killing babies in the abortion clinics. Can you say amen? This, this same-sex marriage thing needs to be overturned. Did you hear what I just said? So we need to be judging things. There's too many Christians in this land. They, they sit in church and they're just like the little birds that sit in the nest. Waiting for their mama to come and put... And you know what? They'll just eat anything the mama drops in. We shouldn't be like that as Christians. You shouldn't be sitting out there like a bunch of baby birds. Just, just whatever somebody wants to drop in your mouth. Is that right? You need to judge what's being said across this pulpit and any pulpit in this nation. You need to judge it against the Word of God. Can you say amen? A man of God is not sent to win friends and influence people. A man of God is sent to say, thus saith the Lord, and let that, let the chips fall wherever they may. Do you hear what I just said? You want an example? Let me give you one quick example here, and then we'll get back to how many roads there are to Jesus, and then I'll close. But one example, just to let you know what I'm talking about, is one very influential minister strongly implies that a Jew can be saved simply by following the Old Testament. How many of you know that's not true? 
Go to Romans 10 real quick. Romans 10, 1. These four verses will help you as much as anything else. Quickly. Romans 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be what? That means they're not. They need to be. Is that right? How many of you know Jews are God's chosen people? How many knows we bless Israel? We love Israel. Those that bless the Jews, they'll be blessed. Is that right? But you also, you see, if, if you don't tell them the truth that without Christ they're lost, you become an enemy of them. Is that correct? Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their... See, they're ignorant of God's righteousness. They're ignorant. They're unlearned of how God makes you righteous. God makes you righteous through faith in Christ. Not by keeping the deeds of the law. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And just so you know, that, that particular minister, I was listening to him on this one day, and I, he looked right in the television camera. I saw he said, he said, I don't care what the book of Romans says. He said, get out of the book of Romans and go back to the Old Testament. How many of you know you need to get up and walk out right there? Because the New Testament, we need the Old Testament, all right, but the New Testament supersedes the Old Testament. Did you get what I just said? Pastor, why are you teaching on this day? Because I want a group of people that understand what, what's going on in this nation. My goodness, it's, this nation's in trouble. And it's in trouble for one reason, because preachers won't stand in a pulpit and preach like this. Pertaining to our subject today. Some years ago, another very influential minister went on nationwide television and would not come right out and say that Jesus is the only way to God. I got up a week later because, you see, it was a heaven-hell issue. You see, if it's a non-essential issue, like, we're not for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. We know it was authored by God, but we're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, if that minister would have got on that national television and said, you know, uh, so-and-so wrote the book of Hebrews, and I, and I got up the next Sunday and bashed him for that, I'm not going to do that. It doesn't matter if I think Paul wrote it, but, but he, that's a non... Really, I'd say non-essential. Are, the, are the, end time, the end time teaching, you know, like the rapture? I believe in a pre-trib rapture, but sometimes, you know, different preachers will preach different things. Those are non-essential things. I mean, I, I believe in the rapture of the church and all of that, but it, it's non-essential. What's essential is what you believe about Jesus Christ. And when you get an influential minister that's spanning the globe through television and other media saying that uh, sidestepping issues of they won't answer, uh, they're asked point blank several times, is Jesus the only way? And they won't answer that question. I've got to come in and pastors all across this nation should come into their pulpits and deal with that. And if a pastor doesn't do that, he's not doing his job and God ought to fire him, including me. Do you hear what I just said? So, now, if we can't say that there's only one, if, if we can't say there's only one, if we can't get away with saying that, you know, there's many ways, if, if we're pinned down, well, we've got to say, I'm talking about these big minutes, we're pinned down now that Jesus is the only way, because we're pinned down, if we don't say that, we're going to lose the whole church, then what's the next step? Well, there's many ways to Jesus. 
And I was thinking about that. And my wife and I was talking about that. Are there many ways to Jesus? If Jesus is the only way to the Father, well, now they're saying there's many ways to Jesus. What does that really mean? What does it really mean? There's many ways to Jesus. Well, there's one, one road to, to the Father, that's Jesus. There's many ways to Jesus. What does that mean? My wife and I were discussing that. and We talked back and forth on it for several weeks. Never came to a conclusion. I do know that Jesus himself said, No one can come to me, to him, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And that drawing there means without force. How many of you know God won't force you to get saved? But he'll draw you. I knew that. But still, many roads to Jesus. And so last Wednesday evening, we're teaching, you know, on the book of Philippians. And the subject enemies of the cross came up. Because it's in Philippians, and we, I was talking a little bit about it. And afterwards, I went jogging. In that heat, yeah, I went out in the heat. It was a lot of fun. And I was jogging. I was meditating on these things. And, and the Holy Spirit said to me, right down on the inside. Now, right there, when you say that, you lose a lot of people. You know, Holy Ghost... You ought to be hearing from the Holy Ghost once in a while. He doesn't talk to me like this all the time. Occasionally, I'll hear, I'll hear his voice right down on the inside. And when it's him talking, it'll line up with the B-I-B-L-E. Be watchful of Christians and pastors who are always hearing from God all the time. God told me this. God told me that. God told me this. God told me that. I'll tell you right now, God's not told them all those things. They're squirrely. But be watchful of a, of a Christian or a preacher that doesn't ever hear from God. Did you hear what I just said? So I was, I was meditating, enemies of the cross, enemies of the cross. And I was thinking about, yeah, I know there's one way to God, that's Jesus. But I've heard this now on several occasions, many roads to Jesus. And I was just meditating. I wasn't even praying. I was just meditating, just thinking as I'm running. Thinking about how hot it was and then thinking about these things and... And the Spirit of God, in a bold way, have you ever had somebody talk to you when they're aggravated on a subject? It would be kind of bold. He said this to me, you judge it. You judge it. He said this to me about, as I was just meditating, many roads, okay, one road to God, Jesus, we know that. Many roads to Jesus. Here's what I believe the Spirit of God said to me. There is only one way to Jesus Christ, and that's repentance. What do you mean repentance? To have a change of heart, mind, and action. And any time the Spirit of God speaks to you, you need to go find it in the Word of God. Real quick, go to Mark 1.14. Mark 1.14, very quickly. Very sobering today. This is not one of those hip, hip, hoorah messages. But this will do you as much good as any of them. This will keep you straight, keep you out of error. Notice what Jesus said, our Lord said himself, Mark 1, 14. Now after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then what's the first, what does he say? What's that next word? Repent and 
believe in the gospel. Before you get to the believing, there's got to be repentance. Before you get to the believing in the gospel, what is the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before you get to the believing, what do you have to have first? Repentance. What is repentance? To have a change of heart, change of mind, change of action. There's only one way to Jesus Christ, dear friends. There's only one way to God the Father. That's through Jesus Christ. But there's only one way to Jesus Christ. One and only one. And that would be real loud, say repentance. Now go to Acts 20, because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, we want everything to be established. So that's Jesus speaking. Let's go to Acts 20, verse 18. And when they had come to him, to Paul, he said to them, You know, from the first day I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears, trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and Greeks or Gentiles. What did he teach? What's that next word? Repentance toward God and then what? Faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't get to Jesus. Listen, if you're a sinner, you can't get to Jesus Christ. You can't get to faith in Jesus Christ without going through repentance. There's only one way to Jesus Christ, and that's repentance. Did you hear what I just said? That's why you see lots of times you'll have people say, quote, unquote, a prayer. What's known as a sinner's prayer. And thank God for the sinner's prayer. You ought to go to the Bible sometime and see how many people said the sinner's prayer, what we call the sinner's prayer. You ought to do that sometime. Be a good exercise for you. The thief on the cross, he didn't even really pray. He said, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He was saved right there. Is that right? Jesus taught, taught one time. He said a man went up on, the, up, up, up on a mountain or whatever it was. He said he, in the temple, he didn't even look up to heaven. He just hit his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he was saved. Paul, all he did was say, he called on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and you'll be what? Saved. I don't see where Paul even said a formal prayer. He just said, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he made Jesus the Lord of his life there on the road to Damascus. I can't find where John ever said a quote-unquote sinner's prayer, but he served Jesus. Peter, I can't find where Peter quote-unquote said a sinner's prayer, but he made a declaration of his faith. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? Thomas, I don't see where Thomas ever said a sinner's prayer, but Thomas said, when he looked at Jesus, he said, my Lord and my God. But you can't get to faith in Jesus until you first come to what? Repentance. That's why you see a lot of times people will say a prayer, but then they go, their life never changes. Just saying a prayer, in and of saying a prayer, won't do you a blasted bit of good if it's not coming from a repentant heart. Did you get what I just said? There's a lot of people in this nation think they're saved, think that everything's wonderful because they walked an aisle one day and they said some words. But let me tell you what, if, you, if those words, and I'm all for the sinner's prayer, don't misunderstand me, but if they're not coming from a repentant heart, you might as well have said, twinkle, twinkle, little star. 
Did you hear what I just said? I know what I'm talking about. I've seen too many people pray the quote-unquote sinner's prayer, but they just did it because they were they, they heard a preacher preach on hell or something. And they, how many of you know you, hell ought to make you afraid? You understand? But but they but they they come and sometimes we do need to preach hell to people. I mean, you preach goodness of God to people to get them saved. Primarily, some people won't respond to the goodness of God, so then you hold hell up in front of those. But I've seen a lot of people walk the aisles over the years and they say words, but it's not coming from a repentant heart. And, 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 and they don't really get saved. Because you can't get saved until you get to Jesus. And you can't get to Jesus until you have a heart of repentance. Did you hear what I just said? I'll tell you something else. People that are really saved love the house of God. People that are really saved come to the house of God regular. Can you say amen? They don't just sashay in once in a while. Just to hope their attendance mark gets marked up in heaven, you know. No, no, no. People that really love Jesus, really get saved, they're going to want to do right. They're going to want to live right. They're going to want to live in line with... They're not going to be perfect. They're going to miss it. Don't misunderstand. I've, how many's missed it since they got saved besides me? But you know when you miss it, down on the inside, there's... Ugh! How many's ever felt that besides me? And then you repent and ask Jesus to forgive you, and He forgives you, and you go right on, you see. But people that really are saved, they're going to have a love for the things of God, a love for the Word of God. Do you hear what I just said? I've been doing some studying on this repentance and faith. One Greek scholar, Spiros Zodiatis, I've been studying after him recently, and he, he an excellent Greek scholar, and he said that, re, that repentance and faith in Jesus are so tightly interwoven together that you can't unwind the two. You can't have one without the other. You can't have faith in Jesus without repentance, but if you have a heart of repentance, you're going to have faith in Jesus. Can you say amen? I'm passionate about this. So there's one way to God, that's Jesus, and there's only one way to Jesus, and that's what? Repentance. Actually, as I close the message, I've gone on a little too long, I want to close it up, but go to John 16. While you're turning over there, remember I said a moment ago, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him? Jesus said that? You know, when I first heard that years ago, I thought, well, you know, is there some people that God maybe never draws? No, God draws everybody at some time. You know how I know that? Because Peter wrote and he said, by the direction of the Spirit of God, he said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So that means that sometime, somewhere, God deals with every person on this planet about repentance and faith in Jesus. Did you hear me? But notice this. Look at John 16, verse 7. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Ghost, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict, underline that word convict, he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. So notice here, we know that God the Father at some time draws every human being by the Holy Spirit and he draws them by convicting. Realize, say convicting. He draws them by convicting them. Because that he convicts them of sin. What does that word convict mean? To show that they're... He shows people that they're wrong. He shows people that they're not right. That they're wrong. I'm glad he, one day he showed me that I was wrong. 
And then if I continued the way I was going, I was headed to hell. I needed to, I needed to repent. And so at some time he draws everybody. He convicts everybody. He draws them. He convicts them. How many of you remember when you got saved? There was a conviction, the Holy Ghost dealing with you. I remember he's dealing with me. I remember sitting as about a 10-year-old boy in a Baptist church. Not far from here. Wonderful church. I was sitting there and, and, and the music was playing and the anointing of God was strong. And, and, and I remember I was weeping and I felt that pulling in my heart. I remember a man came out to me. And he said, he said, he said, do you want to go and receive Jesus? And I said, no, not just yet, not just yet. And I didn't go that night, but thank God, God didn't give up on me right there. And some years later, he got through to me and I, and I surrendered. Can you say amen? And I didn't just say some prayer. I sold out to him in my heart. There was a repentant heart. I sold out to him. I received him as my Savior. And I'm so glad I did. And he's changed my life. Glory to God. But when he begins, how does, how do you get to Jesus? How do you get to him? You get to him through repentance. The Holy Ghost at some point will deal with every person and he'll, he'll begin to deal with their heart and convict them and to show them that they need Jesus, you see. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you okay? You know, one of the hardest people it is for the Holy Ghost to deal with is you know that he doesn't have a hard time really dealing with prostitutes or, 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 or whoremongers or, or people that are gamblers or this, that, or the cussers. Or the, you know, those people, you can get through to them pretty easy a lot of times. You know some of the hardest people to get through to are self-righteous people that think that they're going to go to heaven on their own merit. And do you know a lot of times it's harder for those people to repent than it is for the, what we'd call the old sinner? You know why it's hard for them? Because they have to come to a place and they have to admit that all my good works put together won't get me into heaven. I've got to not trust in any of them, but I've got to repent and turn to Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? So how many ways are there to God the Father? One. What's his name? Jesus. How many ways are there to Jesus? And what is that? Repentance. And we'll close with this. Go to 1 Corinthians and we'll receive communion. Ushers, get ready. You can't even approach the communion meal. Does anybody know what this, this uh, juice and this bread represent? It represents the blood and the body of Christ. Did you know you can't even approach this communion meal without a heart of repentance? Read with me, with, if you would, in 1 Corinthians 11.23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new testament or new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever, now watch this, therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But verse 28, before you receive the communion meal, what does that say? But let a man, what? Examine himself. Do you see that you, what is that? This represents the body and the blood of Christ. We can't even approach, there's only one way to Jesus. What is that? Repentance. You can't even approach this communion meal without a heart of what? Repentance. Isn't that powerful? 
And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep or die young. Much we could say about that. Look at verse 31. For if we would what? Judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If we'd what? Judge our... Doesn't that show you repentance? So a sinner, somebody that's never received Jesus... They can't get to the Father without getting to Jesus, but they can't get to Jesus without what? Repentance. Repentance, and then faith in Jesus, and then they've got salvation. But it's true for us as Christians. We can't even get to this communion meal without having a what? Heart of repentance. Powerful. Ushers pass the communion out. While they're passing it out, I want you to be in an attitude of prayer. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's what I would recommend that you do. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know where you stand with God, if, you don't, if you've never had what I call a no-so experience, you know that you're saved. The Bible tells you you can know that you're saved. The Bible says that the Spirit, if you're saved, the Spirit of God's on the inside of you and He'll bear witness with you that you're saved. If you don't have that bearing of witness on the inside that you know you're a child of God, here's what you do. You just take this communion. You just set it down. Don't, don't receive it. But when we dismiss in just minutes from now, you walk up here to the front, there'll be some people standing up here at that time and just say, I want you to introduce me to Jesus. And they will. Then you get saved, and then they'll serve you communion. Did you hear me? Did I make that clear? To the rest of us who are already saved, you know you're a child of God through faith in Jesus. By the way, you don't have to be a member of this church to receive communion. Some churches, you've got to be on their rolls. You don't have to. That's just man-made rules. There's only one necessity to receive this communion is that you're born again. How did you get born again? Through repentance, turning from your sins, and placing your faith in Jesus. But, if you're born again and there's something in your life that should not be there, before you partake of this, you need to repent. You need to turn. You don't need to confess it to me or to anybody else. You need to confess it to the Lord. The Bible says that if we'll confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if there's something there that shouldn't ought to be, you can change it in a moment's time. Just have a change of heart. Repent is what that's, is what that's called. Just right under your breath, confess it to the Lord Jesus. He can hear you. He's right there in, in the person of the Holy Ghost. He'll forgive you in a moment's time, and then you partake of this, this, this meal.